We're carrying on in our um, study of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 2 this morning. So page 1081, if you've got a church Bible in front of you. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except that person's own spirit within? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of Christ as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We need the Spirit to help us to understand those words, don't we? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you guide us, would you lead us as we look at this passage, help us to apply it to our own lives, to our own situation, so that your name, the name of Jesus, may be glorified. Amen. A week last Thursday and Friday, I was away in North Wales with a friend, and this friend of mine is a member of a sort of outdoor pursuits organisation, and they've got two properties, one in North Wales and one in the Lake District. So we were staying in the one in North Wales. And before we went, I looked on their website to see what I could expect in this place. I want me to read to you the expectation of where we were going. It says this. A converted 19th century farmhouse, plus adjacent buildings, which are four mini self-contained apartments suitable for the family. There are newly installed showers in the house, and then it witters on about other things. It says, there is a drying room and a barn with a table tennis table, and space for mountain bikes, and it goes on about a nice garden and all the rest of it. I'm expecting something a bit like this. Youth hostel-type accommodation, pleasant, fresh, clean. Now, when we got there, there were the two of us in this great barn of a building. There must have slept about 50. This was one of the bedrooms. (laughs) This was another one. This was what I think we called the scaffolding suite, I'm not sure how you would sleep on that second bed in. It would probably tip over. 
We eventually decided that the family accommodation was the most luxurious because it had a lounge. Here it is. Look at that. That was the lounge. Well, it actually had a really good time, but it struck me, you know. Sometimes there is a gaping chasm between how we describe ourselves and the reality on the ground, isn't there? That can be true for churches. We can describe ourselves in a particular way, and then you come into a church and you think, is this the same place I read about? Are these the same priorities? And things can be very different. Paul writing to the church in Corinth in chapter 2, we've got to remember he is writing to a church family. He's not writing specifically to individuals, but to the collective corporate church as a whole. And it's important that as we look at Corinthians, that we address it corporately, that we take some of what Paul is saying onto us as a church. And in doing so, there are also things that we can apply individually as well. But in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul starts to address a really significant question. How does God speak to us? How does God speak to us? And like a second question, if you like, to that. What does God want to say to us? What is it that God wants to say? And so Paul starts off in chapter 2 with his declaration that he came to Corinth, not with great eloquent words, not with amazing preaching, not with slick PowerPoint presentations, but he came in weakness and trembling. He didn't come with the kinds of arguments the Greek philosophers used, but he came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And he came with a message from God, the message that perhaps is summed up really well in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Because God speaks through his Son. Last week we were looking at the central point of the Gospel, is the cross of Christ, isn't it? Right at the centre of all that we are about is the cross of Jesus. The great place of forgiveness, the great leveller where every human being is brought to the same place. The supreme revelation of the Son of God. It's at the cross where, where we become found. It's at the cross where people in darkness start to experience God's amazing light. It's at that place that the sin that, and the, the death that we deserve is taken on by the Son of God. But this message to so many is foolishness. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now Corinth, it was quite a thinking city. You know, people would go around sharing new ideas. It was full of philosophers and and thinkers and pagan priests. And in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, if you went around with a set of new ideas, you would get a hearing. Read Acts chapter 17 to see what happened to Paul in Athens. People listened to him. They didn't necessarily agree with him, but they gave him a hearing and listened to him. But you know, ideas alone can't convict. A good philosophy can't transform. Only the Spirit's power at work can do that. Verse 4, Paul says he came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. What's he talking about? What's he talking about when he talks about the Spirit's power? The other week, our um, little runaround car broke down. Claire was um, driving the kids back from school, and she was going up the hill out of Statham, and suddenly it cut out, totally and utterly, and came to a halt. 
So I got this phone call from, from Claire, panicking, saying the car has broken down, what do I do? Ring the breakdown people. I don't know what you want me for, I can't <laughs> mend the car. Absolutely hopeless. Um, so she did. Anyway, it all got going again, all worked out fine. But at that moment, this car still looked like a car. Looked like a very little car with four seats in it and an engine that did absolutely nothing at all. But there was no power. It wasn't going to do anything. You know, the gospel without the Spirit's power is not the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It is the transforming power of God. And as Paul writes in Corinthians, as the letter unfolds, we'll see that this power is evidenced in so many ways. It's evidenced through the greatest miracle of all, which is being born again by the Spirit. You know, when we are renewed and when we come into that place of relationship with God. But it's also evidenced through the Spirit doing things in the life of the community of the church. Yes, there's the transformation. There's words. There's words of knowledge and prophecy and wisdom given. There's tongues and there's healings. Evidence on the ground that God's Spirit is at work. And by Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, he says this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit is about transformation. And for Paul, clearly, the gospel and its, comp- and its continuation and proclamation is about the continuation of the ministry of Jesus. The transformative message of the good news. You know, I talked about the void at the beginning between what we discuss and what, what I've written and then actually the reality on the ground. You know, we talk a lot about transformation. We talk a lot about, you know, what the Spirit can do in our lives and what God wants to do. But I sometimes wonder, do we expect that to be the reality? Do we expect that that's actually what's going to take place in our own hearts, in our own lives? Do we really come with an anticipation that God wants to do things in my life and to transform me and to transform you by the Spirit's power? Or is it just the description that bears little reality to what's going on? Second thing God does is he speaks through his word. You know, God wants to speak to us about his works and his purposes. Look at verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. No, we declare God's wisdom. I can read that and think, well, Paul, you're contradicting yourself. You've just said I don't come with wisdom, but now you're saying here it is. Here's the wisdom. But actually, it's something quite different. There is only one way to relationship with God. The Bible is totally clear. It's through Jesus. It's through the cross. Through repentance and faith in Jesus, the Son of God. But when we are in relationship with Jesus, when that relationship with God is restored, actually we can start to understand godly wisdom. The scriptures start to come alive to us. One writer puts it like this, for Paul, the gospel, God's wisdom was a pool of clear water. Believers were urged to go deeper, but they would find that no matter how deep they searched, there was always deeper to go. That's what the word of God is to us. Verse 7, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now, as the Corinthians carried on in their walk with the Lord, they would have started to understand what God had been doing through history. 
the place of Jesus the Messiah in God's plan of salvation. But they didn't have the New Testament. You know, Corinthians is one of the first books of the New Testament to be written. They have no Gospels. They didn't have the blessings we have. We have it all in front of us this morning. The wisdom of God. The Word of God. You know, the amount of times that I think I've preached on a passage and then I'm preaching it a few years later and I find out something totally different from that passage. I don't know if you find that if you're doing your own devotional reading. You know, you read the Bible and then you come back to a well-known passage and there is more. And there is always more. And you can always dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you hear somebody else talk about it and they'll have got another insight that you haven't thought about. And you realise there's yet more. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper. I just wonder, where are you today in that pool of clear water? Are you just dipping your toes in the edge? Or have you dived in? Are you sat there, you know, like a nice summer's day, just cooling off? Or are you diving down as far as you can into the wisdom of God? Where are you? So God wants to speak to us through his word. And God speaks by his spirit. You know, God wants to speak to us today. He has things to say to us today. On Wednesday this week, I was working in my um, study between about half ten and half two. And um, unusually for me, I got eight phone calls in that length of time. Now normally, I don't get that many phone calls. I don't know about you, but I find I get a load of texts, a load of Facebook messages, emails, WhatsApp things, and everything's beeping all the time, apart from the phone that rarely rings. Um, It rang once with an actual human being, and seven times with an automated voice. Is it just me, or does it really wind you up when you pick up the phone and somebody speaks to you, and you say, hello, and then this automated message comes back at you? But this message went on to me like this. It says, as an owner of an LPG boiler and receiving a winter fuel allowance, we have important information for you. There are only two slight problems. I don't have an LPG boiler, and I may look it, but I'm not actually eligible for a winter fuel allowance. (laughs) So if you'd rung me at half past two on Wednesday afternoon and I had actually answered the phone, I'd have been sounding a bit exasperated. Seven phone calls from this company bombarding me with this information that was of no relevance whatsoever. I think they just decided that today was the day they were going to try and get through. And if it happened to be me that had an LPG boiler, I'd listen. I think sometimes those first two things can actually be quite straightforward, can't they? You know, that God speaks to us through a message of salvation through Jesus, that God continues to speak to us through his word. But what about God speaking to us through the, through the Holy Spirit today? What do we make of this? What does God want to say to us? And how will he speak? Now, yes, he will continue to speak through the word, and we should never, ever separate word and spirit. But for Paul, as we unpack the book of 1 Corinthians, we will see that he fully believes the Spirit wants to speak into the contemporary life of the church and the contemporary life of individual believers. So what I thought we'd do is just have a look at different ways that God spoke to people through the Scriptures, different ways that God spoke to people in the Bible. Way back in Genesis 12, Abram. Abram, more or less out of the blue, gets called by God to go. And he has to set off on this long journey, miles away from home. You know, ever since, God has been calling people in the same way. We were praying with Amelia a few minutes ago, weren't we? She's been called to go, and she's going. 
Lots of us can t- talk about times when we've been called to go and the Spirit has impressed on our heart that we need to go and do something and we've gone and done it. 2 Samuel chapter 12. David was rebuked by God. He'd had an affair with this lady called Bathsheba. He'd had a husband killed. It had all gone horribly wrong. And God has to come in through a prophet and say, actually, you're out of line, David. This is totally wrong. I need to bring you back. You know, God will speak to us by his spirit today to convict us and to tell us that, you know, there are times in my own life when I can think things have been going wrong. I've not been living God's way. And God, by his spirit, has had to convict me and speak to me in that kind of way. And God will do that. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God will always be speaking to us through his word. Joel chapter 2, the passage that is then picked up at Pentecost when um, Peter refers back to it, talks about old men dreaming dreams and young men having visions, and it talks about sons and daughters of God prophesying in the last days. If God impressing things on our minds, I'll let you decide which category you fall into there, old or young. But it's that idea that God has things to say to us in these last days. We can go on. Matthew 7, verse 5. This is at the transfiguration. And what happens is God speaks audibly, in an audible voice. Now, I've never heard God speak in an audible voice, but I know people who have. There was um, a, a man who, I don't know him that well, but when we were down in Bristol, that not the vicar who was there when we were there, but the vicar before, he was a really lovely, godly, fairly quiet sort of man. He was sat in his office one day, and he was praying to the Lord. He said, who should I approach to be the new church warden? If you know anything about Anglican churches, church wardens are sort of like elder-type roles in the Church of England. And he sat there sort of expecting, I don't know what he was expecting really, but he certainly wasn't expecting what happened. And that was a voice spoke and said this name. So he sat up and went, oh. He went to approach this person who had also felt that God was leading them to do this role. This person took on the role, was absolutely phenomenal at doing it, and has since gone on to minister in quite a sort of national way right through the country. Do you know what? God says in his word that sometimes he speaks in an audible voice. I don't think it's the regular way he does it, but we need to think, actually, it's biblical. That's what God may do. How else does God speak? Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, they were all of one mind and heart. Dare I say it? God can speak through the church meeting. God can speak through the unity of believers. When we are of one heart and mind, God will speak and we will have the mind of Christ together. Acts chapter 15, verse 28. It talks about, it says this, it said, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the role of Gentile believers in the, in the church there. But it's that witness of the heart. You know, and actually, we feel it's right with us and we feel the peace before God that something is the right decision. Moving into Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, it says this, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Direct revelation to the heart through the Holy Spirit. All these are ways that God's Spirit can speak to us. 
I could have gone on, you know, as I went through those different scriptures. There were loads of different ways that God speaks to his people. But then we come back. Is it like that answer phone message that kept on bombarding me? Is God desperately trying to bombard us all the time with things to say? Or is it like some kind of mystical experience that we expect to have when God imparts knowledge and wisdom to us? Or is it cryptic and difficult to understand? Or is it something that we think, actually, we'll just have this whole jumble of stuff and we're desperate to try and work out what is God? I don't think I can answer all those questions this morning, but I'll have a go at some of them as we go through. But the next section of um, this passage we're looking at this morning, verses 10 to 16, it's very complex, it's very dense, and we could probably spend about three months trying to unpack it. Um, But he starts talking about the Spirit searching the deep things of God. This passage here is is really beautifully Trinitarian. Um, It talks about Jesus as the Lord of glory a bit further back. It talks about the Spirit searching the heart and mind of God, because the Spirit is God. Verse 13, it says, This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Through the work of the Son and the revelation of the Word, empowered by the Spirit, the believer is able to speak Godly wisdom, not human wisdom. Verse 14, Paul speaks of discerning things through the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to discern what he is saying to us. Verse 15, the Spirit, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Complex stuff. What does it mean practically? A few years ago, probably 20 years ago almost, I had a friend and I haven't seen him for, for ages, but he was, in many ways, he was a great bloke. He was um, really committed to God, um, desperate to try and do everything God's way. And um, it actually lived itself out in quite an interesting way. I'll explain what happened. He believed that he had to wait for God's leading in every area of, God, uh, in every area of his life. So he would lie in bed in the morning, and he wouldn't get up until he felt prompted to by the Spirit. So he'd just literally be laid there, waiting for the Spirit to, to arise him from his slumber. Having got up, he then would only have a wash if he felt the Spirit led him to have a wash. This is true. This is totally true. That was very distressing for those who were around him when the Spirit didn't lead him to wash. He lived um, in a sort of halls of residence of a Bible college. And consequently, there were all kinds of shared chores that had to be done. He wouldn't do them unless he felt God led him to do them. So he wouldn't wash up. He wouldn't cook. He'd just leave other people to get on with it. He wouldn't lock his door or his windows unless he felt God led him to lock his door or windows. Consequently, he had a very expensive computer stolen. And the result was actually that by living in that kind of way, he became a pain in the neck to everybody round about him. And eventually, a mature Christian, who'd been a Christian for a long time, said, look, listening to God doesn't mean abdicating the wisdom that God has already given you. You know, you have to get on with this stuff of life. You know, you have to wash yourself. It's nice for everybody else when you do that. You have to muck in with the chores of life. Because otherwise, you just become a burden to other people. But actually, the result of living like that was what had happened, is he'd lost confidence in his ability to walk naturally in step with the Spirit. And it all became this waiting for these sort of promptings the whole time. 
Now, I know quite a lot of you in church. I'm getting to know quite a lot of you. I have not experienced anybody within the fellowship who's living life in that kind of way. But there is a danger in that extreme. But there is also another extreme, which I think we're far more prone to fall into. And that is when we have little expectation that God will speak to us, where we come with little sense that actually God has anything to say, when actually we don't have that much faith and we're not open to what the Spirit may be saying to us. Little desire to hear God, and we don't spend any time listening. And then we wonder, why is our Christian life so drab? Why are we not seeing the kind of things that the early church saw? Why are we, in that sense, um, living in this sort of halfway house that actually perhaps Jesus doesn't call us to be in? You know, the void I was speaking about at the the start, we can talk about being individuals or as a church that is open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Every Baptist church has within its sort of way of being the desire to seek the mind of Christ corporately. Yet I wonder, is that the reality on the ground? Is that the reality? On Thursday night, we had um, our first church meeting of the year, and we were discussing what I think are some really exciting um, questions for us as a church. And one of them was, how are we going to keep growing as a church fellowship? You know, most Sundays, we're pretty full. This Sunday, we're perhaps not quite as full, because there seems to be some kind of plague going around, and people have um, gone off with that. Um, But most Sundays, we are very full. Now, I've been chewing this over for a number of months. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with it? What do we do? Now, do you know what my first port of call was with that question? Think it was to pray? I wish it was. It was actually to go to my bookshelf, see if I could find any books on church growth. It was then to start talking to friends who had equally positive experiences of church growth and say, what did you do about it? Only then did I pull myself up and think, actually, that isn't right. That isn't the way things should be. You know, it's good to do the homework. It's good to do the reading. It's good to get other people's wisdom. But actually, surely my priority, surely our priority as a church should be on our knees before the Lord to seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, to seek the guidance that God will bring to us. My ideas are not very good when set against the ideas of God. Neither are yours. We need to seek the Lord's mind, the mind of Christ. And so as a leadership team, we we had an away day a few weekends ago, and we decided that actually we need to call the whole church to pray. So a bit of advance warning, between the 5th and the 12th of March, we're going to call the church to a week of prayer and fasting, where we can come and say, Lord, will you speak to us about what you want us to do? Will you speak to us about our future? Will you reveal to us the wisdom of the Spirit for moving forward? You know, let's not be a church with a void in the middle of us, with a a sort of reality gap between what we talk about and the reality on the ground. But you know, we can also apply this to ourselves, can't we? There can be times in our own life, in our own experience, when perhaps we say we want to be led by God, yet we don't actually allow room for it. Do you seek the Lord's wisdom? Do you pray for godly wisdom before you have a difficult conversation at work or with a family member or even with somebody in church? Do I, do you seek the Lord? Do you seek that discernment, that godly wisdom before you make financial decisions or job decisions 
Are we praying? Are we seeking God for our young people? For their lives? For their choices? Do we come to church on a Sunday expectant that God has things that he wants to say to us? Things about our contemporary life and situation. That God will speak to us through his word, but he'll also speak to us directly through the prophetic words from God's heart to us. Are we receptive to deepening our understanding of God and what he would say to us today? You know, when God speaks, when God speaks by his spirit, it will always, always be in line with scripture. God will only speak according to his character. He will not do anything other than that. And it's the call of the church for us as individuals to discern and weigh whatever we feel the Lord is saying against the the revealed word. It's our task to do that. God is speaking. Are we listening? Are we listening? You know, listening, I believe, is a question of posture. How we come before the Lord. You know, sometimes I think as human beings, we we like to measure things in a kind of linear way. So you think, how good's our prayer life? Or how long did we spend in prayer? How much are we listening to God? Well, how long did we spend? Well, actually, it's not really that. It's have we got open hands, open hearts, open mind? Are we receptive to what God would say to us? Look at verse 16, the declaration of Paul. We have the mind of Christ. Can we say that? We have the mind of Christ. Is that our aim? Is that what we desire? Then let's be open to what God has to say to us. I'm going to spend a few um, moments in reflection. I thought I'd leave a few questions on the screen. I know Rich is going to come up and lead us in a moment. I just wonder, are there situations in your life at the moment where you need to seek the Lord's direction and guidance? Yet at this stage in life, you're not really doing that and you just need to come and do that. Are you willing to hear what God has to say to you? Think of all those different ways God spoke to people through the, the history of his people. Are you willing, like they were, to hear what God has to say to you? And just a question for us as a church. Are we genuinely open to the leading of the Lord and seeking his wisdom for our life together? Let's pray and then Rich is going to come. Lord Jesus, I thank you that by your spirit you are with us. Thank you that you do speak into our life as a church. I want to say sorry in my own life and for us corporately when we don't listen. Lord, may we be able to say, Master, speak, your servant is listening. In Jesus' name, amen.